Hello, and welcome to Season 9 of In the Kitchen with Mary Mack. Can you imagine? Season 9. Who knew we had this much to talk about? I know. Or this many (laughs) recipes, and I'm still having new recipes or things that I've done, and then I think, oh, I could do that, you know. So, yeah. This is a real special one today. This this one, I don't know why I never did it before. I guess I kind of didn't, I don't know, I guess I didn't think about it. But today's very special eighth anniversary, what would you say? It's the eighth anniversary because it's been eight years of podcasting. Yes. But it's our ninth season. Yeah, it's like birthdays. Oh, Lord. Your first year. <laughs> Doesn't count. You're not one, your first year on the planet. I gotcha. Oh, I was never good at math. That's why I cook. <laughs> On to the recipe. Today, I'm going to give you a recipe for tart tatin, which is an apple tart that comes from France. It is a classic French dessert. It is probably like if you said, what is the national dessert of France? This would probably be near the top, if not at the top of the list. This is a recipe that's been around since the late 1800s, the 1890s. It comes from central France. So here's the way I'm going to describe where this area is. If you look at a map of France, and the word France is on the map, almost right under that is where this recipe comes from. It's an area called Le Solange. It's like the countryside. People hunt in that area. It's very rural. There are a lot of chateaus around that area and country estates and that sort of thing from the 1700s, early 1800s. It's in the area of what might be considered the Loire Valley. And it's this beautiful area in France where you basically have all these small towns that you might have heard of before, one of them being Le Mans, which is famous for the Le Mans car race. I was actually through there. A hundred or so years ago also, (laughs) but um, I was actually through there and it's a very pretty countryside. It kind of reminds you of being in the country around Western Pennsylvania, lots of farms and rolling hills and orchards and forests. And it's just very pretty. The reason I go into this detail is because to understand this recipe and the simplicity of this recipe, I wanted you to understand the area. So the town where this came from is called Le Mont Bivron, and it's in the Solange. It comes from two sisters, the Tatan sisters, and they had a restaurant, and then the restaurant grew into a restaurant and a hotel across the street from a train station. So it was a very popular place. You know how in Western Pennsylvania, everybody has a hunting camp, okay? Well, we don't, but a lot of people that we know and a lot of people that you know have a hunting camp. And people go to their hunting camp on the weekends. Think about that for this area. This would be an area where people would leave Paris or leave some of the bigger cities and go here for the weekend. And it's just a nice little getaway. And it's like just going to the country. So you'd get off the train and right in front of you is this restaurant that was run by these two sisters. The restaurant had an excellent reputation already. They were so well established that they were actually mentioned in the first edition of the Michelin Guide as one of the best restaurants in the Solange and in the whole area. So it was a destination where people went and it was popular. Now, remember, this is in the 1890s. I think a lot of times when 
chefs of our era or even cooks of our era look at these old recipes. They don't consider how people made things back then. So one of the things you should know is people were cooking in cool ovens. That would be an oven that had a firebox on it where you would put your coal in there and get your coal fire going. And you would move the coals around in the oven to the area that you were using. You could like meter them kind of like how you use a charcoal grill now. You could use indirect heat by moving the coals away or putting the coals directly under something and have direct heat. So if you're familiar with cooking on charcoal, it's kind of the same principle. They also used different sorts of pans. So in this area, well, also in French cooking generally, copper is very popular. And they used a lot of copper pans, especially in this area, because there were copper mines in the area and it was there. Now, these sisters were named Caroline, she was the younger, and Stephanie, she was the older. And Caroline apparently was like the greeter for the restaurant, welcoming and serving and that sort of thing. And Stephanie was the cook most of the time and worked in the kitchen. There are so many stories of the background of this recipe that it's almost hilarious. I mean, there's as many stories as there are variations of the recipe. I've read a lot of them. If you take largely the French stories, a lot of them seem like lore. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're, you know, like there's a lot of facts that don't line up and stuff like that. But there are some people that actually knew the sisters and were interviewed and things were written down. So I th I've found a few of those recorded. So here's what I basically think happened. In this area where the restaurant was, there are a lot of orchards and farms and things like that. And apples and pears were very popular in this region. And one of the things that were and are a dessert in France is a baked apple or a baked pear. And you basically would take the apple, core it, peel it, put butter and sugar and maybe nuts and raisins or whatever down inside of it, and you bake that in the oven. And they also do these in whole pans where you take a whole bunch of apples and you put them into the pan with butter and sugar and bake them in a cake pan. When they're done, you can scoop out individual apples and plate them up and serve them however. This particular day, a happy accident occurred. So it seems that Stephanie was in the kitchen cooking and she was making these baked apples and she had them in a pan. They were in the oven and they were baking and her sister was serving someone out in the restaurant and said that this person wanted a dessert. There wasn't any kind of a dessert other than these baked apples. So Stephanie got the idea to just throw a crust over the top, put it back in the oven and bake it some more bring it out and she flipped it upside down so that the crust was then on the bottom of the apples and boom, the tartatan was born. There are different, a variety of different stories about her overcooking the apples or burning the apples. She may have also overcooked them and tried to hide the burned part for the nice dessert with the crust, which could be a thing that happened. But I'm kind of leaning towards this one that she felt like she could make something out of these apples for a quick dessert that looked a little fancier than the normal. What she did was create this amazing dessert that is now, if you look up Tartatan, there are so many variations of it. It's nearly unbelievable. 
every chef from a cooking show and cookbook creator and whoever has a version of it. Also, the word Taten, their last name, Taten, has become a technique in cooking anything that has a crust that you flip over. I have seen so many like mushroom tatan, which somebody just like grilled mushrooms and put a crust on it and then flipped it over. I'm like, that doesn't, you, I don't know. I guess it is. It's now a cooking term. So, <laughs> so thank you, Stephanie, for creating this fabulous dish. So the tart itself is really simple. The ingredients are basically apples, sugar, butter, and then the pastry crust is flour, butter, salt, sugar, and water. It's a very simple recipe. It's the technique which is tricky. So I have been making tarte tan for over 25 years now. I got a cookbook that was written by a French cookbook author as a gift in the late 80s. So it's been like that long, late 80s, early 90s. That's longer than that. Good grief. That's 30 years. And I thought, oh, that sounds good and really super duper easy. So I made it a few times because it takes one crust and just the ingredients that I said to you, it's nothing. It's basically like you got to hang around, you know, you make it and you got to hang around while it's baking and, you know, that's it. It's really, really good. This is one of those ones that I would say definitely try this because if you like apple pie, this is like the epitome of an apple pie. This is an amazing apple dish. Absolutely amazing. The recipe that I'm going to give you is I've, I've tried, actually, we've eaten a lot of these over the last couple of weeks <laughs> just to kind of get it right for the recipe. And this recipe is my favorite way. And what I feel is the closest to the original recipe way of making it. If you look it up online, you'll see recipes where people add all sorts of steps and ingredients and try to kick it up a notch. I would say don't do it because the star of this show is the apples and you do not need anything to bring out the flavor in these apples, number one. And if you use the type of apples that I tell you to use, you will be absolutely amazed. You have to remember the simplicity of the times, the simplicity of the tools that they had, and the simplicity of the ingredients. And that's what gives you the perfect tart to 10. I happened upon online the first original recording of the recipe by a woman named Marie Sushan, who is a friend of the sisters. It's written in pre-recipe form, I would say. If you remember the episode where we talked about Fanny Farmer and her fabulous cookbook, she's the first person who really developed a way to write down a recipe, an actual recipe. So before that, recipes weren't written down with how much and when and what and why and all that. They just told you what was in it and then you figured it out yourself pretty much. So this recipe isn't too bad. Now, first of all, it says it makes 12 servings and I can tell you that it doesn't. There's no way. <laughs> so these must have been slivers, absolute slivers of this dessert. And the ingredients listed are apples, butter, sugar, flour, salt, and water. And that's it. And that's just about what should go into this. So in the first step, she says to use a copper dish because without one, you cannot make this delicious tart. <laughs> so if you don't have a copper dish, you're out of luck. 
You will also need a coal-fired stove well-stocked with coals, nice hot coals. And you need a lot of hot coals because you need equal heat from above and below to be successful. Because you know why? Because this copper pot had a lid. So that leads me to believe that this original dessert was made in a sort of a Dutch oven with a flat lid. If you've ever cooked on a fire with a Dutch oven, what you do is you set your Dutch oven in the coals, you move the coals away, you know, and set it all up to set your Dutch oven on them. And then you take some of the coals and put them on the lid. So you heat it from both sides because that's what this person says that they did. So that makes it interesting to me. That, that makes me go, hmm. So she basically says what we're going to do, take a good chunk of butter, knead it vigorously, spread it over the bottom of your copper dish, and then cover with a generous layer of sugar. Cut up pippin or cowville apples, place them carefully in your dish, put as many layers as the dish will hold. Cover the apples with a thick layer of sugar. Separately, prepare a dough with flour, butter, and water. Roll it out as thinly as possible, almost paper thin. Cover the apples, trim the dough, cover with a lid, and bake as mentioned above. Once done, cover the tart with a serving dish and flip it upside down. Eat warm. That's the original recipe. There was no cooking the apples ahead of time or cooking them on a stovetop and then putting them in the oven or any of this other stuff. So the recipe from my little French cookbook says basically that put your apples in and put as many layers as you can fit, cover it with dough, and then bake. That's the way I've always made it. But when I was doing my research for this podcast, I watched some videos and I came across one from a restaurant in France that's very near to this area. It's called the Bon Vivre. It's a wonderful account on Instagram, I can honestly say. But in their recipe, they left the apples, they only cut the apple in half and they had them standing up. I also looked at the website for the Maison Tatin, which is the original restaurant hotel location. It is still in operation. It's now called La Maison Tatin. And you can go and look at their website and see their tarte tatins that they make with the original recipe that they don't give to anybody. <laughs> and they look very similar to this one, to the one that I'm going to give you today. While I've done this in several different ways, I've settled on this way is my favorite way. So this is the recipe that I'm going to give you. Are you ready? Boy, that was a lot of talking to get to the recipe. This is like one of those dumb recipe blogs where you want to hit go to recipe, go to recipe. I'll just put a time code in the description for, for when the recipe starts. Recipe starts. Yeah, skip recipe ahead. Recipe starts at one hour in. <laughs> Spin ahead. Well, <laughs> remember now, we also do a blog recipe with a recipe card. So if you don't enjoy listening to my voice, you can always go straight to the blog post and recipe because we don't write out the whole thing that I say here. No. And also, if you don't like listening to the sound of our voices, how did you get this far? <laughs> Somebody must like it. I don't know. There's four people somewhere that. So here we go. This is. Hello and welcome to the Tarte Tatin. For the pan, you will need an 8-inch diameter round pan. It can be metal or glass. It should have gently sloping sides, and it should be 2 inches deep. 
I happen to have these cake pans that I bought that are terrible for cake because <laughs> they're like eight inches round at the bottom and eight and a half inches round at the top and they're made to nest, but they make the worst looking cake you've ever seen. It's They're horrible. And I was actually going to get rid of them. And then I said, oh, these are perfect for the tart to tan. I will keep them forever. <laughs> so... They're beautiful enameled pans, too. I was so excited to get them and so disappointed when I got them. But anyway, so you need a pan like that. You can do this in a pie pan. Don't go too big on your pie pan. Go like, if you got an 8-inch pie dish, that's perfect. Because I have done this in a pie plate and it works okay. That's the pan. Here comes the ingredients. For the crust, and this is the crust from my little French cookbook, and this crust is phenomenal. You need one and one-fourth cup of all-purpose flour, one and a half tablespoons of white sugar, a pinch of salt, half cup of cold butter diced into small pieces, two to three tablespoons of very cold water. Before you get started with the technique, is it salted or unsalted butter? This is all salted butter. I have tried both, and personally, I like the salted butter. So this is all salted butter. First, take your flour, sugar, and salt and put them into a medium bowl and mix them together so they're well blended. Then take your stick of butter and unwrap it and like leave it on the paper and cut straight down the middle so you have two long rectangle halves and then cut down the middle of each of those and cut them up into little cubes. Then just flip that into your flour mixture. Using a pastry cutter, cut the butter into the flour mixture until you have it well incorporated and it resembles crumbs. You know I have a problem with pie crusts. Famously. So I said to myself, don't touch it, don't touch it, a thousand times. And I just used my tools, my pastry cutter and a fork and a spoon, and I didn't touch it, and it came out really good. So if I can do this, anybody can do this, okay? Once you get it to where it resembles crumbs, you're going to add two tablespoons of very cold water and take a fork and toss it around to form a dough. If it doesn't stick together as you'd like, add one more tablespoon of water and just toss that around with your fork or spoon and kind of press it in to get it to start sticking together. And once it does... It takes a little while of moving it around, but once it does, you want to just take your hands and form it into a ball and then flatten that ball into a disc. Wrap that in plastic wrap really well and put it in the refrigerator until you're ready. This needs to rest for at least 30 minutes. So if you do it before you start the apple part of this, it's plenty of time. It's in the refrigerator for a while and it's really good. Now for our apple part. First of all, move the racks in your oven so that you have the bottom rack open. We're going to be baking this on the bottom rack. So I just put the other rack up, you know, high. And then preheat your oven to 400 degrees. You're going to need 10 to 12 cooking apples. All the recipes I've looked at have said like six to eight apples. It isn't even close. This is an apple thing. I used every single apple, 12 apples, <laughs> the last one I made. It takes a lot of apples. You've and eaten dozens of apples. Oh Lord. I've I have weeks. I've probably eaten three or four dozen <laughs> apples in the past two weeks. It's hilarious. 
Now, when you're getting your apples, you have to remember two things. You want cooking apples. Don't ever use a Granny Smith for anything ever, but especially not for this. No Granny Smiths. Cross them off your list. I recommend either Golden Delicious, Brayburns, Pippins, or my absolute favorite, Northern Spy, which are very hard to find. You probably would never find them in a grocery store, but if you go to a farmer's market that's at an apple orchard, like, for example, Apple Castle in New Wilmington, which is where I've been getting my apples for this. I'm, I'm like Have a, they been giving you weird looks? No, but I'm like a <laughs> stockholder now. I've gotten so many apples up there. But <laughs> that's where I've been getting them. Are and they starting to recognize you and go like your usual? <laughs> She's back again. She's back again. But um, so I did this with Northern Spy. I've, I've used Golden Delicious, Northern Spy and John of Gold to make this. And so far, my favorite has been the Northern Spy. Northern Spy, there's a little rhyme. They say Northern Spies are for pies. And that is true. They're a real nice, hard fall apple. They're sweet and tart. And they are great in this recipe. But that's what you want. You need a harder apple. Brayburns are great too. Golden Delicious, they're all around good. And they did a really nice job in this recipe too. You also need to make sure that your apples are similarly sized. They don't have to be exactly the same, but you know how sometimes like you get apples and they're one apple's the size of a baseball and one apple's the size of a softball. You know, you want them to be similarly sized. Keep that in mind, especially if you're going to a place where you can select your own apples. You know, like Apple Castle has bins that you just go in and it has, oh my gosh, I can't even remember how many kinds of apples there are. But they're, they're just in an open bin, so you can pick the ones you want. And I would keep it to the same variety for the whole thing. Because like in an apple pie where you're slicing them up very small and fine, I love to blend apples. But in something like this, you want all the apples to be the same texture when it's done. And I think you need to stick to the same type of apple in this. So there you go. 10 to 12 cooking apples. And I would lean towards 12. A half cup of butter, which is, of course, salted butter again. I would definitely use like Land O'Lakes butter in this. Use good butter. I've said before that some of the store brand butters have a higher liquid content in them, and I don't think they'll produce as good of a finished product. The Land O'Lakes butter worked terrifically on all of these. And I'll explain to you as I go through this, when I tell you how it looks, you won't believe it. You need that half cup of butter, and that can be a little bit soft. Not super soft, but you want you have to be able to press this one into the pan. So reasonably soft, but not completely falling apart, squishy, warm. Boy, that, that's a good description. I like that. <laughs> you need a fourth cup of white sugar plus two tablespoons for sprinkling. And those are your ingredients for the apple part of the tart. Here we go with the directions. Get your baking dish and take that stick of butter and go around the sides of your baking dish with the butter. And then using the wrapper, take the stick of butter and unwrap it and put it into the pan and use the wrapper to press it down all over the bottom of the pan. You can smooth that then with the back of a spoon so you make sure you have pretty even coverage. Once you get that done, sprinkle a fourth cup of sugar evenly over all of the butter. Now you're ready for your apples. So what you want to do is peel, core, and have the apples. If you have a slick apple core and you can shove it down there and just take the core out, that's great. If not, I just cut them in half, take the core out, 
and peel the apple then, like peel the halves. This is what I did. I prepared 11 apples or 10 apples, okay? Because I wasn't sure what was going to fit in the pan. And then that way I could just peel the last two if I needed them. So get your apples ready. Don't worry if they're turning brown. Please do not use lemon juice in this recipe or any other apple recipe, dear God in heaven. Please do not do that. It's okay if apples turn brown if you're going to bake them because they're going to turn unbrown again. But if you put them in lemon juice or water with lemon juice, you're going to have a weird flavor, then you won't like it. So trust me on this one. Do not put lemon juice on anything. Nothing. <laughs> okay. Take your apple halves and very carefully standing them up, go around the outer edge of the pan just like a little army of standing apples inside the pan, but you're on the outside edge of the pan and go the whole way around your pan. The flat side that is the core side. Do you want that facing the inside of the pan or the outside of the pan? No, it will be facing the apple in front of it. Okay. It's like a little chain of apples going around. So And you want them all facing the same direction yes. so it's not core to core. Yes, okay. it's core to Apple back, core to apple back, core to apple back. Okay. It looks like a. It looks like a, one They're of those. They're having a little conga. It line looks in like there. that one video game. What's that called? Where the thing goes? Uh, I can't think what it's called. Now, once you get your apples all the way around, standing up in the pan on top of the butter and sugar, you're going to go into that middle part. You can usually fit four or five apples in there. The one I made the other day, I had to cut one apple in half to fill in a couple of spots but you want it packed tight in there. So you, you could probably fit four apple halves and then you might have to cut one in half and fill in. But there you go. Your apples are in your pan. You got them all packed in there. They look beautiful, beautiful. Now we're going to put them in the oven. Without the crust on, put your apples in the pan on the bottom rack of the oven and you're going to bake them for one hour at 400 degrees, turning halfway through. So set your oven timer for 30 minutes. Your apples are in there baking. When you open your oven at 30 minutes to turn your apples, what you're going to see is there's going to be a whole bunch of juice in your pan boiling and even some foamy looking stuff, which is from the butter and some of the apple bits in there. And you're going to see that it's, it's really cooking. It's not going to come up over the sides, so don't worry about that. Take your pan and give it a quarter turn so that it's moved in the oven a little bit, get a little different heat direction, close your oven door, and set your timer for 30 minutes again. About 15 minutes before that hour is up, get your pastry dough out. Put some flour on your work surface, take it out of the plastic, and press the disc onto where your flour is and start to flatten it down. If you've ever seen Julia Child go after a pie crust, this is what you're going to do. You don't have to beat it till it's a half inch thick, but what you want to do is hit it a few times so it starts to spread out and then flour your rolling pin really good and flour that top and start rolling it. You want to make sure you keep a good amount of flour around so it doesn't stick and roll it and turn it and roll it until you get it into a nice circle. You want it to be about a fourth inch thick when you're done. So it's going to be more than you need. Now, if you have another pan the same size as the one you are baking in, use that for a pattern to cut a circle from the dough. If not, cut yourself an 8-inch circle from a piece of paper and put it on there and cut an 8-inch circle out of your pie dough 
Make sure it's not stuck to the table. I just left mine sit there because I was, I did not want to roll it up on a rolling pin or fold it in half or anything until I was ready to put it on the tart. I've had problems happen before <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so that's how I do it. Do what you do, but that's how I do it. Also, I should say this, if you're not comfortable making a crust, this actually works really well with a store-bought pie crust. And that is no lie. I have, believe me, I have done everything with these things. A store-bought crust works just fine. However, this crust here is from heaven. You want to try it at least once. When your timer goes off, you're going to take that pan of apples from the oven. And what you're going to see is that that foamy stuff is gone. There's still going to be some liquid in the bottom of that pan cooking because the apples are beginning to caramelize a little bit with the sugar and butter cooking down but it's not deep liquid like it was at 30 minutes. It's now cooked an hour and that liquid has gone down. You take that out of the oven, put it on your stovetop, get your pie crust and very carefully set your pie crust on top of those hot apples and have a butter knife handy. And you want to very, very carefully use that butter knife to push the dough down around the edges of the apples and the pan evenly. So that dough is kind of wrapping around the apples and going down the sides of the pan. And this happens faster than you think. I mean, you can zip it right around there. But just take that butter knife, push the dough down all around the edges. Then take a sharp knife and poke three or four steam holes in that dough and return the pan to the oven for 30 minutes to bake your crust. While you're baking, get yourself a serving plate that's just larger than your pan. So like if you have kind of flat dinner plates that are like 10 inch in diameter, that would be perfect. I've been using a cookie serving tray because <laughs> I'm like, hey, this will work. I've been using a cookie serving tray, but hey, what use whatever you have, okay? A dinner plate actually, I have Corel dinner plates and they're almost the perfect size for this. But if you want a fancier presentation, go to a, a fancier thing. When the tart's done baking, you're going to remove it from the oven. You're going to take your sharp knife and just run it around the edge of the pan to make sure that nothing is sticking, the crust or any apples or anything. Put your plate over the pan and using hot pads or whatever you're comfortable with, you want to grab the tart pan and the plate at the same time and very carefully invert the pan onto the plate. Okay, just flipping it over. And then I use a sharp knife right under the edge of the pan and I pick up on it a little bit, just real slow. And you have to watch because steam will come out. And then pick that up. And once you get it, grab that pan and lift it off and voila, tartatan. And you will be amazed with yourself. When you take the lid off and see it, once the air hits those apples, you, what you're going to have is a beautiful, caramelized edge around your apples and the tops of your apples will have this reddish glow to them. What's happened is your apples have been baked until they're fluffy. They aren't collapsed in the sense of that there's nothing left of them that's just this, you know, blah. No, it's it's like pillowy. Yes. They they become that's why I like using the half apples. The way I used to do it was, and I've done this before, is cut the apples into like eight slices per apple, which isn't bad either. And that's a fine way to do it. But the texture when you use the half apples is incredible. 
and they sort of fall down like dominoes in there while they're baking so that when you pop the tart out, you get this beautiful looking tart. I can't wait to show you the pictures. I mean, I really can't wait. It's amazing looking. And this is what, like when you see pictures of the Tarte Tatin from La Maison Tatin or restaurants in the area of the Solange, this is what they look like. Although I would say that La Maison Tatin puts two layers of apples. They must have massive pans. I don't know, but they have like two layers of apples and they look terrific. But this is it. Is that not the simplest thing? It doesn't need anything. It's, I would say the first time you make this, the first piece you eat, just eat it as it is. It's like incredible. The crust is almost like a uh, puff pastry. Very, it's not, I don't know, it's not really like a puff pastry, but it's so flaky and crisp. It's amazing. But the crust side where the apples are landing, you know, where the apples come on, it, it absorbs the juice from the apples. And then the apples themselves are so tender and delicious. It's just amazing. And eat it warm. Don't eat it blistering hot. Let it cool off a little bit, but then eat it warm. And then when you eat the rest of it through the evening. <laughs> it's great cold, too. Yeah, it's great cold. It's great eat with it whipped cream. at all temperatures. Yes, it's great with whipped cream on it. It's great with ice cream. It's just great. But it is, as a standalone, just a piece of the tarte de tan on a plate is all you need. It's almost like a science experiment, what happens to those apples, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's so good. So that is it. That is the Tarte Tan. Thank you. I just want to thank everyone who listens for being with us these past eight years through thick and thin, <laughs> through the five-minute podcasts and the 25-minute podcasts. And the 45-minute podcast. And the, <laughs> the hour and 15-minute podcast. But thank you for um, staying with us and following us. And thank you for your feedback. I've met so many listeners. Um, that's really great when somebody comes up and says, hey, I listened to your podcast. I really love it. You don't even know. That's, that's so great. And I love it when I get feedback on the recipes. Uh, we definitely hope that you'll go and check out our website and check out some of our other podcasts. We think we've got some really good recipes there. So um, we hope you uh, go through those and enjoy yourself this winter because it's going to be a long, cold winter. Make sure to check us out online on Facebook and threads at Mary Mac Bakehouse, on Instagram at Mary Mac Bakehouse and Mary Mac Podcast, and on our website, MaryMacPodcast.com. Thanks a lot for listening if you did, and if you didn't, too bad for you.